0: Hello, and welcome to Fashion as a Force for Good, a podcast brought to you by SmartWorks. This is the charity that uses the power of clothing and coaching to help unemployed women get the job and transform their lives. In the 10 years SmartWorks has been running, we have learned that when a woman looks and feels her best, she can change her life. I'm your host, Tiffany Dark, and every week I'll be talking to a new guest about the power of clothing, their relationship with fashion, and the transformative role clothes have played at key moments in their lives and careers. Time to find out whose wardrobe doors we're opening this week. Emma Gannon is a writer, thinker, podcaster, life guru, and with the publication of her latest book, The Success Myth, someone who is rewriting the way we think about work. After styling herself as a multi-hyphenate, Emma, through her blogs and her newspaper columns and her books, showed us how successful you could be working for yourself remotely in the digital world. All of this pre-pandemic. But something happened. Emma hit a wall. Her latest book is a result of all the insight that she has gained during that experience. Emma, it's an absolute joy to welcome you to the SmartWorks podcast today. Thank you for having me. Oh, It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So, I mean, I just left that one on a cliffhanger there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Do you want to explain a little bit about what happened to you and what gave rise to your latest book?
1: Yes, definitely. So I actually finished the book, The Success Myth. I knew exactly what I wanted the title to be. And then I handed in the book and then I basically went through like major burnout. It was so strange. It was like I'd sort of digested what I've written and then just hit a wall like you said and I feel like as writers we are writing things we already know but we haven't actually maybe embodied it's all quite intellectual until you start living it and so uh, it was really weird it was really existential I feel like I'm too young to have like hit this weird midlife crisis because it's meant to come later on so I was very confused by it but yeah I just sort of had to change up absolutely everything and the irony being that Everyone else was like, oh, you're doing so well, you're so successful. And so that gap between other people thinking you're doing really well and you being so miserable, I just had to investigate that a bit more.
0: Did you know it was burnout or did you think something was wrong with you? Or did you know? Did you think this is because I've taken on too much and this is why I'm feeling this way? Or were you worried it was something else?
1: Well, luckily, I not only have been in like the self-help realm <laughs> for nearly 10 years, so I sort of can... I know where to go and I know who to talk to and I can kind of self-diagnose and I kind of can be quite self-aware. So I knew what it was. And also a close friend of mine just went through burnout, which was actually extremely shocking. And I would say that when she went through it, I thought that will never happen to me. And then... I knew, oh God, this is happening. And it took her probably about a year to be able to function again, like mentally, but also physically. And it manifests in different ways for all of us. But I've I've written about how burnout, I think is this kind of buzzword now, and we can use it as like, oh, we're a bit tired, we're burnt out. But actual like existential burnout is like, you've used up all the energy plus more, you have nothing left, you're in minus figures, and your nervous system is basically kind of screaming for help and we're so bad at resting in this society and uh, I was actually thinking about that the Lewis Cavaldi Glastonbury set the other day and how we push ourselves so hard and it's only until we're physically crumbling that we'll take a break and I I just find that kind of odd. Mm.
0: Yeah it was awful wasn't it but actually it was also rather beautiful how the crowd carried him on wasn't it? Exactly. I mean I'm interested in the whole Burnout manifestation. So it's essentially you're pushing yourself, I guess, mentally, but you start to manifest the symptoms physically. What actually happens?
1: So for me, it was panic attacks last October. And if anyone's had one, they are terrifying. You literally think you're going to die. And you are really spaced out, and the world just seems very different. And but also it's quite embarrassing because I was away with a friend and, um, she was just like, she didn't know what was going on. It's quite easy to say, I've got a headache and need to go and lie down. But when you're in that fight or flight mode, it's really terrifying. You're just kind of scared of everything. And it's just really odd. And you're reminded of your like animalistic instincts because it's kind of how we're wired when things go wrong. But nothing was wrong. That was the weird thing. And then also I I, I kind of liken it to grief as well. It was like this sort of shedding as well and and having to shed all of my beliefs really about all of the things that I thought would make me happy because if all these amazing awards wasn't going to cut it I've I was having to get a new definition of success and I don't know we don't know really anything do we but I think that it's very normal and natural for humans to go through cycles and basically reinvent themselves every so often. Mm.
0: You were having these physical symptoms and you felt really unhappy so you had to re-examine, what did you do? How did you how did you heal yourself? And I'm really sorry as well, that all of that happened to you. It must've been really distressing.
1: It was, but weirdly I feel really good at the moment. And I know that when you're in something like that, you think you'll never get out of it. And I'm really aware that that's the reality at the time. People would text me being like, it will pass and all that stuff. And you're like, no, it won't. And then it does. And then you kind of go out of the cocoon and you're sort of a butterfly again. But I think um, going back to like childhood joys was massive. It was actually really, now I can laugh, which I know I'm completely over it because I'm like, God, that was dramatic. You know, watching the Disney Channel, borrowing a friend's dog, wearing really crazy clothes. All of that came out. Um, Just really going back to basics. And this is why I wrote The Success Myth is it feels really taboo, especially in this economy, to complain. But actually, I think it's really urgent, actually, that we look at how our traditional version of success, which is making our parents proud, earning a certain amount of money, doing stuff that you don't want to do all the time just to look a certain way, can actually make you quite ill. And um, maybe there's a better way. So
0: what have you, what did you take away from all of this? What have you learned? Have you worked out a new definition of success for yourself?
1: Yes, it's, it's basically not abandoning my own version of success which has actually not changed since I was 21 which is write try and get paid for it if you can't get paid for it do something else but still write like the goal for me was always to live a creative life and the irony is that when you become successful in the creative world you become f- further and further away from that person who like likes making things and then you're suddenly under this pressure and then you, you lose yourself, essentially. So I think success for me is just like going to bed at night and being like, I didn't, I didn't abandon my beliefs and my opinions to please other people.
0: Mm, that's interesting. But then how do you, I mean, how much do you rely on the response to your creativity? So I'm thinking that, you know, if you, you don't go to bed at night and think, think, oh, I wrote something really brilliant today, I'm really happy. Do you judge that in terms of I put something out into the world today? And I didn't get the response I was looking for, or how does is it something that you know inside or does it need approbation from your audience?
1: It's a difficult one because there's a difference between validation and connecting with people. Like I don't want to write in a vacuum. I don't want to write and have a novel in a drawer. I want people to read it. So of course I see success in that. But I think living in a world of Instagram comparisons, seeing your peer get on the bestseller list, seeing someone else, I don't know have an amazing day and you're not, I think it's like really going down to the basics of just, I think I'm on my path. And I think we get very confused at what that even is. So the success myth is not, here's how to be successful in a different way. It's not anything like that. It's like, how do you just take yourself out of that for a minute and remind yourself what you even want to do?
0: Mm. And you knew that very early on, you knew at 21.
1: Yeah. When this is a funny thing. So I trained to be a coach with Martha Beck, who is famously Oprah Winfrey's life coach. She's amazing in that world of utter scammers, let's be honest. She's like the real deal. And she talks about nature and culture. And it's in our nature to um, have dinner with someone or write a poem or go for a walk or look after an animal. But culture is the thing that really gets us. Culture is like you don't look very good and you aren't very clever and you haven't got the promotion and you haven't got a big enough house and you need to have a child now. Like that's culture. And I think as long as you keep an eye on that for what it is, you can kind of go back to your own human nature, if that makes sense.
0: So culture is negative. Culture is setting you a load of unrealistic expectations.
1: Well, not always, but most of the time. I mean, look at the culture at the moment. It's... it's it was living through a pandemic and then seeing people in Dubai buying handbags. It it was very confusing. It's a very confusing time at the moment.
0: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I'm gonna go back a little bit because um, I have to confess here that we've known each other for a number of years. And I remember you being the canary in the coal mine about journalism and writing and magazines back in the day, a very long time ago. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you worked for a magazine and you could see the way that all the audiences were going and um, you suggested to the company that you were working for that they needed to do things completely differently, that actually all the audiences were migrating online, that everything needed to be changed um, and they didn't listen to you. And so you decided that you you had such a strong belief and conviction in, in what you saw that you would go off and do it for yourself. Do I remember that correctly?
1: Yes, it was, I remember it. And and actually I think, mille- you know, millennials get a bad n- name for themselves. I think people were just like, oh, she's really annoying. She just wants to do things differently all the time. But actually I feel like I did have a sense of, I can see this, I can really observe this. And why aren't we all panicking a bit more? Or well, not panicking, but just living in reality. Like the numbers are down. People aren't buying magazines. You still think we're in the Devil Wears Prada? <laughs> it's not happening. I think you can be scared or you can be excited, and I'm quite. I think I'm quite an optimist. I get really excited. Like even now, the media industry is completely fra- fractured. You know, you have people who are BBC household names who are just scrabbling around trying to make ends meet, doing podcasts and things. And and I think I think it's all going to work out. It's just that we're in a really awkward phase. And I think that's why you have to really trust yourself and trust your instincts and trust your creativity and, and go back to, again, like your definition of success, like what makes you happy and, yeah.
0: How do you locate that? I always think, you know, it's a lifelong journey, isn't it, trying to know yourself. But you obviously from a very early age knew very clearly what you wanted to do and what you were good at and how you were, you didn't know how you were going to make your career, but you knew that that was what you wanted to do.
1: Well, I, I read so many books and I go to so many talks and you start, and I've interviewed over 400 people. It's like you start to really piece together the fact that no one really, no one really has the answer. So therefore you have to go off your own gut instincts. And we're told, we're sort of made to feel like everyone else knows better. And I'm not saying I have the answers. I don't, I don't know. I, I admit I don't know much actually. I just like to ask questions and I'm curious, but I I know when something feels good and feels bad, and that's the kind of number one rule of kind of getting back in touch with even like your body and your instincts is, you know when you meet someone and they make you feel bad, that's Mm. like a signal that you shouldn't go out with them again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If someone makes you feel good and you look forward to seeing them and they're like your best friend and they bring you joy, I think that's how we should approach work, we should approach our personal lives, go towards what feels good and that's really personal.
0: That's really good advice. Really good advice. Now I'm going to ask you about fashion, Emma, because I did read that you wrote very recently that you were a bit kind of um, nonplussed about having to talk about fashion on this podcast because you've said that you've never felt like it had featured much in your life. In fact, you wrote you've always felt like an alien in the fashion world, but. For the benefit of people who are listening and not watching emma is wearing an amazing leopard print trouser suit and if you know emma you'll know she's got this very um recognizable look she wears big glasses she's always got color on she's usually got a red lip and she's very very striking looking person so i was really surprised that you wrote that
1: i i feel like i have maybe leftover baggage from the magazine industry when (laughs) It feels like, again, this is kind of back to what I was saying with like the culture versus your just instincts, which is like, I love fashion. I love the creative the, the creative act of dressing yourself. I love that you pick something out and you put it on your body and you're saying, this is how I am. And I think it's really important and not trivial at all. But the fashion industry, I feel, makes me feel bad. And it makes me feel like I'm not if I'm spending money on myself to make you like me, if my handbag is a social indicator that I'm worth a certain amount, that's always freaked me out a little bit because if someone's being nicer to you because you're wearing certain brands, I just found that odd. So I I try not to kind of, I don't wear logos. I, I'm kind of anti like massive, massive luxury fashion. But then again, I love watching Sex in the City and I think it brings us so much joy. So it, I'm a barrel of contradictions. But when it comes to dressing myself, again, it's like dopamine dressing. I love a bright color. I love when other people are happy. When, you know, when you when someone walks in the room and they're wearing rainbow colors, you just, you're smiling. And so I love that infectious energy of fashion.
0: Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Because fashion can really project a mood, can't it? Not? Do you know, we probably shouldn't call it fashion, we should call it clothes. Yeah. Like, yeah, like clothes can really project so many signals like when exactly when someone walks into the room and they're wearing something you immediately take it in and there's a, your brain is going tick, 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 and making all of these assumptions because of what you see some of which you know is good but probably some of it not so good.
1: Yeah and it can massively change our mood. I mean what was so interesting about the burnout phase I was in and I wouldn't say it was depression but I think it was like on the edge of that sort of hole of like oh god I'm really in the well and I need to climb out the day I remember it changing my sister came around and she was like you've been wearing that fleece like for a few days in a row now <laughs> and then I was like yeah well you know I'm just at home and she was like go and put something else on and I remember going upstairs like picking out this like leopard print jumpsuit and I was like I feel better like what are the odds and so I think again you can't really play down the impact of how, you know, fashion and clothes.
0: Mm, And especially how it makes you feel as opposed to how it makes everyone else feel. Mm -hmm. I always think particularly good piece of underwear is very helpful when you have got a challenging situation ahead. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, that's obviously, you know, you've used fashion in a way to help yourself. Have you ever used fashion in a kind of, or clothes in a work scenario? Have they helped you professionally in any way?
1: I think I... No, because I think I went down the road of trying to dress for other people early on in my career. And I look back at photos and I think you're not dressing for yourself here. And so I think I think I've just tried to really make that distinction because mm-hmm. there are lots of moments of sort of you know the girl boss era of like wearing the really kind of scary suit and the scary heels. And I kind of go away from that now.
0: Just the thought of heels is terrifying, isn't it, right now?
1: <laughs> and also I was thinking about when you're uncomfortable in your clothes, I think that means you feel uncomfortable in yourself or at least you feel uncomfortable in the room. I think comfort is a huge thing. And like that doesn't mean a fleece. Like today, this is an M&S suit and it's really soft and comfortable and kind of it's got like an elastic waist. And, you know, I just feel yeah. really good in it. Um, so it's not necessarily the clothes sometimes. It's just like how comfortable I am.
0: Yes. Oh, 100%.
2: I was a Smartworks client in 2020, and this is my story. I came to Smartworks at a really challenging point in my career path and had been referred by an NHS support service. I was feeling quite unconfident, which for me was really unusual. Um, usually having been an independent, career-minded woman, and that was something I really wanted to get back to. I had a limited understanding of who SmartWorks were or what they did before going to my first appointment, but I just knew that they were gonna help me prep for an interview and maybe get some new clients. The SmartWorks space was an absolute oasis. It was calm, it was beautiful, and I was greeted by a very glamorous team. I had a dressing, which was really fun and boosted my confidence. It was amazing how a new outfit could make me feel, you know, much more confident and more beautiful. And after that, I had a coaching session, which was amazing. And I still use the learning from it today. They made me feel really welcome and treated me as an equal, which was so valuable. And I left feeling empowered and that bit stronger all in the space of just a couple of hours. I don't know how they do it. And then I went to my interview and on arrival, they commented on how lovely my outfit was. And when I left their office, I passed a woman in the corridor and she commented on my trousers as well. Overall, the SmartWorks experience really empowered me to be sure in myself and to know my worth, which is huge. So we did ask you to bring
0: something um, that means something to you, like an item of clothing that has a story behind it. Did you manage to choose something?
1: So I found this quite difficult, actually. Um, maybe there were so many moments, but I picked this yellow, these yellow Nike trainers, like bright yellow trainers. And it was the moment where I was going through that phase of wearing really uncomfortable heels and, trying to be someone I wasn't and I'd got this Sunday Times business column and they wanted me to do like the pose of your arms crossed and I remember just like wincing I was like this is so not me um being really put in a box here and I just vowed to myself from that day on that I would be comfortable and so I remember doing this kind of really quite corporate actually businessy thing and I was like I'm gonna wear these bright yellow trainers um I don't know it's not even that rebellious but at the time I just felt like I wanted to change things up Mm,
0: yeah that and that was on the business section of the Sunday Times and you got away with yellow trainers that's brilliant because well, that's why they wanted you there because you had a completely different viewpoint on what kind of business was right
1: because I mean I did but I wouldn't say the comment section really understood while I was there <laughs> but this is I guess this is what we're talking about it's like can you be running a high six-figure business and like to wear leopard print you can but people still don't really get that
0: well, you're still an anomaly, aren't you? Mm. If you do that, yeah. And it's interesting because when people appear on the news or appear on television, and it's normally women, and they're wearing something, you know, out of the norm, everyone talks about what they're wearing rather than what they're actually saying.
1: Yeah, I always find that interesting on news channels where the anchors are wearing nail varnish or something, and then Twitter is just commenting on it. And it's people say it can be a distraction, but it shouldn't have to be. Mm.
0: Do you think the rules around what we wear to work are changing?
1: Well, this is a hard one for me because I haven't worked in an office for eight years or so now. And I've, sometimes I feel almost embarrassed by that because I can't comment on anything to do with office culture, which was something I could talk about. I work from home. I'm a writer. I feel very, really privileged that I have an office at home. So what I wear is really, no, you know, it's not really up to anyone else and Sometimes I'll put on a nice top to go on Zoom. I mean, it's really, I don't really have to think about it too much. Um, But when I worked in an office, you know, I I don't know. There are rules still around it, but I do think it's changing because of remote working. So I think it's changing. Mm.
0: I mean, I was going to ask you about the whole Zoom thing, actually, because that really, that half an outfit idea, and we've all spent the last few years getting used to Zoom working. And um, there's definitely like good Zoom outfits and less good Zoom outfits. So I'm very keen to hear what you think a good Zoom outfit
1: is. A good Zoom outfit for me is like a big collar, frilly collar or or kind of a Peter Pan collar, like something jewel, jewel based, um, like a headband. Yeah, very much like up top. But then I have banned myself now from doing the half outfit because I just think it's kind of a bit degrading it's like you know you're wearing pajamas you just you just want to feel good in that moment so I again back to the whole like don't wear the fleece thing if you need a bit of a pep I think when I'm having a writing day and I really want to get loads done I will put on something that makes me feel good
0: yeah if you only wear half an outfit and the doorbell goes um, (laughs) and you have to get up it's a problem isn't it (laughs) (laughs) yeah <laughs> have there ever been any situations where you've worn something you've regretted or you know something that you think you've misjudged the situation?
2: Um
1: that's a good question. I don't know. I think I think I can get it wrong with like being too overdressed or too underdressed, and I know there's a debate on which one's worse, but I don't really care anymore. I just kind of <laughs> roll with it. I don't know. I I, the thing is with fashion, this is why I said I was sort of like, Oh, I'm gonna talk about fashion. Isn't because I don't like talking about it, it's because I don't analyse it much, weirdly. I just I literally wake up and pick something and then I'm kind of with that for the day. Um Do you do much shopping? Not really anymore. No, I've got my classic outfits. But I think things have changed since the pandemic. I mean, I don't go out as much. I don't go to parties as much. My my social life is not as 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 sort of busy as it was pre-pandemic so maybe that'll come back um
0: do you miss getting dressed up though and going out to a party because that's there's a, that's a very special moment isn't it like you know you've got a really fancy frock or something and there's that kind of like hour of pre-party prep where you can really kind of put some time into the makeup and the look and the and... yeah
1: yeah I do like that I like going to a wedding for that reason I, do, I but I like now that they're few and far between because I can really go for it when I do go out And I'm really big on accessories, so I'll wear the same dresses or I'll wear the same clothes or I'll wear the same trousers all the time, but I'll just change and have like an attention-seeking shoe or big glasses or headband or bag. I think as long as you've got something fun on you, I really enjoy that, but I don't enjoy shopping anymore. I I really don't enjoy shopping in person anymore. Um, I don't know what that says about me. Maybe I'm just becoming lazy, but I just, I don't have the energy (laughs) anymore to go and really hit it hard.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, we're not really meant to be shopping that much anymore, Yeah, that's probably we? part of it. Mm. And we're lucky if we've got wardrobes and we can shop our own wardrobes and change things up. I think that's one of the things that I've discovered recently is that all those clothes that you do have in your wardrobe that you don't wear anymore is that actually they've, there's life in them. You can do different things with them, can't you?
1: And it's funny, you know, on that point of shopping less for, you know, bigger environmental reasons, what I'm finding quite interesting as a trend is... The more we become comfortable with who we are, the more we are doing life coaching, the more that we are listening to podcasts that lift us up, the more we are living our kind of truest lives. We don't need as many sort of social indicators. We don't need as many clothes and we don't need as many things to prop us up. And I think if that continues, because we are consuming ourselves literally off the planet at this point, if that continues, then that could be a really great thing and the world will shift in massive ways if the if those big juggernauts will no longer be able to shift all that stuff to us.
0: Well, there you go, being the canary in the coal mine again, Emma, because that is exactly the point, isn't it? Is that we have to reframe the paradigm of what success means. And in 2023, <laughs> the success myth is being rewritten.
1: Mm yeah I mean it it all comes down to awareness again doesn't it like you just said being aware that you're being sold to even that space between you and the thing instead of that thing's going to make me happy it's like that thing won't make me ever happy forever after it might give me a hit and seeing it a little bit as a drug in that way because we're we're smart people we know that if a pair of shoes would change our lives we wouldn't have to buy more
0: yes however there is also the thing that as you suggested, that if you can wear one thing that makes you feel good, when you walk into a room, it can change the whole way that people see you and how you project yourself as well, can't it?
1: Yeah, and that's why I think you need to have your your faithfuls, you know those outfits that if you're going on a date or you're going on a job interview or you you're not feeling great or as women, you know you know, time of the month, like all this stuff, just an outfit that is like fail safe. and I, I think my wardrobe is pretty much mostly that now which I feel good about because I just don't have to think about things. And that's the other thing with kind of feminism and being a woman in the modern world where you don't have time and all the rest of it is um, just make easy decisions for yourself. Like Mm -hmm. lay out your outfit the night before or just sort of think ahead because the more we're like faffing with choices, that's less time to kind of do our work, I find.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially as we have to make so many choices these days because there's so many options. Choice paralysis. Yeah. So have you well in your 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 journey to where you are now have you ever had to deal with confidence
1: issues Mm, no but yes I mean I I am quite confident as a person and I don't really know where that's come from I've almost tried to analyze it because I'm like that's weird (laughs) um but then again uh, maybe that's getting older. I think in my 20s, I did doubt myself more, of course. No, because you left your job and went and did
0: the thing that you thought was going to happen. I mean, you've always been pretty like emphatic about what's the right thing to do.
1: Yeah. And 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 it's interesting because I worried that made me unlikable at the time because it's like, well, you want to see people who are unconfident, surely. You know, it was like that sort of strange thing of when, when a woman is really confident, because I know many confident men who are like, I'm going to do this now. And they just don't they just don't think about it like I am. A, I'm a little bit like that sometimes. And that makes me feel like weirdly unrelatable in all the conversations sometimes around finding more confidence. But um, I, I just think it's it's in all of us to have it. It's just that, again, the culture makes us doubt ourselves all the time.
0: But you're right. It's main it's it, it seems to be quite a sort of a, well, a supposedly female trait, doesn't it? That women do question themselves. Whereas when you see confidence in a man, you don't even notice it. You just think it's normal
1: yeah I mean like one of my favorite authors ever is Seth Godin, who um you know we've like struck up a friendship over the years and he just says what he thinks and then I don't know goes home and has dinner like he just does not analyze what he's doing and like not in a bad way he's just really follows his gut and um I just sort of took a lot from him and I do have a lot of mentors that are men and i that's just been an accident but i I think again it's I got bored with my own sort of um self-doubting it's like you just go in a spiral and you don't get anywhere so I was like I'm just gonna try and not do that as much which sounds very easy but it's not it's very grown up
0: (laughs) so what led you to what led you down the path of training as a life coach then
1: so I I love Martha Beck I it started with listening to her podcast it started with reading her books I got into reading her stuff in the pandemic um Hers, you know, she she's thought of as being a bit woo woo, but really, she all she does is is teach you how to trust yourself and not tell lies, which I found fascinating because the amount of small white lies I would tell on a daily basis back in the day, which again is not really, you're not being your true self if you have to lie every day. Um, so she does this experiment where you stop lying and you're more truthful and you're more honest in your in your relationships and all the rest of it.
0: Is that lying to yourself or lying to other people?
1: Both, but but I think mostly lying to other people um betraying yourself again that theme and anyway she was doing a coaching course and I just felt like actually when it comes to investing in yourself investing in your career I'm going to take the money that I would spend on I don't know clothes and put it into a course because even though it's quite expensive I just thought I think this will literally change my life and like how can you put a price on decades hopefully of of more sort of ease and happiness um so yeah it was again sort of right before my burnout so I knew that I had to make a change I think
0: so you trained to be a life coach for yourself as opposed to coaching other people
1: yeah I don't really want to be a coach I just wanted to know it all (laughs) and I think it comes back to that curiosity of um of learning from people I'm obsessed with learning from people I'm never going to stop learning I think I'll do a course when I'm 80. I'm just like, you never stop learning. And I'm kind of a student really forever. I think we all are. So I learned amazing things in in that coaching. I also learned that again, like we do go through these cycles that are kicked off by big catalytic events in our lives which is like the death of a loved one, a big job change, your identity changing, moving house, getting married, like all these things kicks off this like process of change. And I think for me, I. Was just going through that change, and the coaching helped me. And also, I met other coaches. One of them became my coach. <laughs> so I met all these amazing women.
0: And when you say so, a life coach—that's quite an inter. You've got a you've got a coach now, and what? How does that work?
1: So it's basically it's not the same as therapy, which of course is someone trained in that arena who will be able to kind of guide you and and like diagnose you and obviously give you those skills. Coaching is more. Think you know, working with your thoughts primarily and sort of enabling you to see your own problems. So they don't give you any advice. They don't give you any tips. Like you're not going to them really for anything. You are going to them for them to ask you questions. And when you hear yourself back say something, you're like, oh my God, I've just never had the arena to say that before. And, you know, your friendships and your husband or your family they're not going to be good at this like they're just sort of throwing stuff at you like maybe quit your job and maybe do this whereas a coach like slows everything down and you get to have space basically to work things out
0: that's really true i think as a as a parent you are often doing that with children as well like they if they've got a problem you're always trying to sort it out for them and i remember someone saying actually you need to you need to just hear them sometimes rather than fix it
1: yeah and also I've learned so much from the training which is like when someone asks you something really what they're asking for you to do is to like throw it back to them and the the rule of coaching is like the client has the answers like you you do not have the answers they do and you know just a silly little example but the other day my niece was like I don't know what to do in my GCSEs what shall I do and I was like what do you think you should do and then she's off and away and then she's worked it out it's like in that moment if I'd have gone I think you should do And I think we're in this culture of sort of wanting to always tell each other what to do.
0: Yeah, it's back to culture again, as opposed to instinct. Mm. So you think we've all got the answers already? Yeah. We just need to locate it. Yeah, definitely. Don't you? Um, Well, maybe. Maybe I should ask myself. (laughs) (laughs) They're a coach. They're amazing. Oh, yes. Well, that that would be a, a wonderful luxury. But what's the difference between a coach and a mentor then?
1: I think a mentor is more in that line of work. They'll have loads of um, experience. So if you want to get into a certain industry, have a mentor because they'll say X, Y, and Z, introduce you to people. Whereas a coach could have nothing in common with you, um, but sort of that's better because they can be really objective.
0: Mm. Well, of course it is an integral part of the Smartworks service actually. So you come in here and you get, an outfit change and you choose you choose the clothes that you want to wear so I guess it's you knowing inside what you want to wear and what will make you comfortable yeah and then once you've got that on you then get an hour's coaching service interviewing where you're told you know or you're you're given the tools or the skills that you need to respond to the questions that are going to come your way
1: it's amazing yeah it's really really amazing
0: it's sort of Emma Gannon Redux, isn't it?
1: <laughs> well, it's it's funny you say that about um, you know, you choosing what you're going to wear or you choosing, because I recoil. Basically, it's like a private joke with my friends and my husband, where like, if anyone tells me what to do, I'll do the opposite. I just hate people telling me what to do. So it's like, if someone was gonna style me, I mean, good luck to them. But also, it's like if they were telling me to wear something, I would say, mm. but if I'm navigating to that bit that you know rail which I think is so amazing here you know people have that freedom to maybe discover something new about themselves or figure out what they like again
0: yeah it's interesting actually because you you have an idea before you walk in that actually I'm going for an interview I need to wear a really serious suit and I you know I need to look really smart and I need to you know xyz all the things that we think the expectations are of what we should look like but actually, people walk out wearing the clothes that are the reflection of themselves. And then that becomes the confidence that allows them to project their real personality in the interview and go on and get the job.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's amazing. And also, just that confidence in an interview. I mean, I remember someone saying to me, at the end, you should like ask one question so that you're almost interviewing them because they'd be lucky to have you. And I was like, that blew my mind. Mm. Like didn't believe it at the time, but probably believe that more now. Mm.
0: Have you ever interviewed people for jobs?
1: Yes, um, a few times. I mean, I'm such a solo worker, though, so not for years and years.
0: Do you th- so you, you, you don't know what you're looking for when you're looking at a person? Well, Because you interview lots of people for your podcast for many years. How do you get to the real person in an interview?
1: I think... I mean I prepare but I don't prepare too much so (laughs) that sounds weird but I think I need to leave room for just being off the cuff and like really in the moment I think we forget that being really present with that person is the most important thing and actually listening to what they're saying because I'm interviewed a lot as well and it's like you know that when they haven't listened to what you've just said and I know it's hard because you're like doing both jobs of trying to remember what you're going to say next and all the rest of it but Um, I don't get nervous the night before anymore because I just know that I don't know until I'm in that room and sort of trusting yourself. I think that's what it is. It's trusting yourself and being like, I've done this a million times. You can do it again. Mm. I think we doubt ourselves even when we've proven to ourselves a million times we can do it.
0: I think that's the confidence that we were talking about, that trust is the same thing, really, isn't it? If you can trust in yourself that you can do something, then that's the confidence that you need to go on and do it.
1: Yeah, because I think something really bad has to happen for you to not basically deliver something that, you know, you can do, you know, and we can get really anxious and we can think about the night before. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I fall over? But most of the time that doesn't happen. And even if that does happen, it's it's actually fine. So I think that's like the soothing self-trust talk for sure.
0: Mm. So I'm going to ask you about that just to to finish off here, which is um, if if you have a big thing tomorrow, tomorrow, the next day, or you have an interview and you need to muster the confidence or the trust in yourself, however we want to frame it, what, what do you do? Do you have any tips that you can give or, or advice that you can share about how you really learn to get in touch with yourself and walk into a room and be yourself, be your best self?
1: Well, I think in my 20s, I would ignore this advice because I'd be like, that's so boring. But it's like, look after yourself, like have an early night, drink some water, eat something that's kind of healthy-ish, um, go for a walk, clear your head, turn your phone off, have an early night. And then the next day, you're just, you, you're like setting yourself, yourself up for just the best case scenario. And, and again, it's kind of like that self-trust, but also like self-respect. Like we can do this just let's just sort of go back to basics really and and just like kind of give yourself the advice you would give your daughter or your best friend. I always go back to that. I'm like, if I had a daughter, a niece, a friend, whatever, and they were panicking, I know what I'd say to them. So I sort of just say it to myself. And it's funny because you're only ever in the present moment. Like you're only ever in one place at once throughout your whole, whole entire life. You're never in the past. You're never in the future actually physically. So you can make up all these stories, but actually when you're in the room, You just have to do the thing and it'll be fine.
0: I am so going to take your advice because I know that, you know, that's fantastic advice, Emma. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to go on and read the success myth and reframe how I think about everything. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much. You're such an amazing person in the the fashion world that's actually doing amazing stuff. So (sighs) you know how much I love talking to you. Thank you. (laughs)
0: You've been listening to Fashion as a Force for Good, a podcast by SmartWorks. If you'd like to find out more about SmartWorks and the wonderful work they do, or make a donation, or volunteer, or book a coaching or styling appointment, visit smartworks.org.uk or follow at SmartWorks Charity on Instagram. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss a thing. Join us next time when we'll be sitting down with another stylish face to chat through their style journey.